All right, we are going to get through a few more chapters, largely because they are smaller. So Job chapter 25 <clears throat> is where we'll begin, and there's really not a lot here, six verses. Uh, so we're probably just going to draw a few points. Uh, Bildad is speaking here in the second round of, or excuse me, third round of, of speeches, I believe. And uh, Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes his peace in the high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? So how then can a man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon doesn't shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much is less is man who is a maggot and a, ma- a son of man who is a worm? So, <clears throat> build that as short and sweet. Uh, what is his correct premise? He has a correct premise. It's the skin of truth. Those are the worst lies. The lies that have a skin of truth. What's he describing here in chapter 25? I feel like he's describing the imperfection of man. Okay, he's con- contrasting man and his, uh, who he is with the greatness of God. Right? And is, so, so the idea is in comparison to God, what is anything else? Is that true? Yeah. What is, he says, even compared to God, the moon and the sun, they don't shine, comparatively speaking. Right? It's, it's a metaphor, but comparatively speaking, that's true. Uh, we, nothing. You can't put, uh, remember one guy, he says, if I, put, uh, if I put man and God on a scale, right? if we're going to put us, he's like, well, if I, I either have to use man as the scale or God, right? So if I, put, if I put, you know, God as the scale and God reaches to here, well, man, I can't see man down here. He's off the charts, right? He's in, if, I put, if I say, okay, man is here, where, where do I put God? We can't see that high. So, so there's no way you can put man and God on the same scale. And that is the correct premise of Bildad. Where does he go wrong? <clears throat> Okay, now he asks this as a rhetorical question, but we're going to answer it. Right? How can a man be righteous before God? Because he's wrong, but we have to answer the question. How can I be righteous before God? Okay. I can't do them perfectly, can I? Bildad is right on that. I, I, can't, I, I can't be c- comparative to God. I can't be well, even close. Modern day times, it's Christ. Right, okay. But in that time, it was a sacrifice. Okay. All right, so, so the only way to be righteous before God was if God said so. <laughs> if God has a plan whereby you can be considered righteous before him, 
then you can be righteous before him. And, and Bildad doesn't take that into account. And we've said this before, that they, they don't seem to be entering grace into the picture. And I know we can say, well, grace is a Christ thing, like you point out. There's no way they can understand that. But they understood it a little bit because God had given them sacrifices. Even before Moses, they had sacrifices. Abraham and, and various ones understood the concept of sacrifice. That goes back to shortly after the garden. So, so we have sacrifices um, and, and some way whereby, because, because Job understood it, Job was offering sacrifices uh, to try to maintain his kids' righteousness. So uh, that is the error of, of Bildad. So we're going to get into Job's reply here in the next several chapters. <clears throat> Job answered and said, uh, uh, chapter 26, verse 1, and we're going to go, we'll look at the first four verses here. Uh, Job answered and said, How have you helped him who's without power? And how have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? How have you declared sound advice to many? And to whom have you uttered words and whose spirit came from you? What is his reply? What's, what's he asking here? What's he... he we kind of heard this before. We've, we've heard this kind of uh, complaint from Job before. What's, he, what's, he, what's his point? Feels like he's kind of being sarcastic here. Okay. He's definitely being sarcastic. Did he's, he's asking a central point. Okay, and he's done that before. He's like, in practical application, you have all these theories, but they're not helping anybody. And I think that's, that's a, a, a really good point, is uh, if you are true, it should help. Right? It, it, at some point, the practical, that's how we, it, it's, it's called scientific method. Right? You develop a theory, and if your theory works, then your theory was correct. Right? It's a postulate and all that. The scientific discovery is based on that. If you have a, a theory and it doesn't seem to be accomplishing anything or doing anything, then it's a theory. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be working. And so, so you can discard it as an incorrect theory. And that's what Job is saying. He's like, you have these theories. You've been, you've been giving me these theories now for however long this is. And you haven't done any of these things. You haven't helped anybody. You haven't given anybody strength. There's no practical application to your theories. And I like this one statement at the end. He says, whose spirit came from you? What does that mean? That's kind of a weird statement. You could be asking one of two things that I think... We know that God gave the spirit, right, to man, and man became alive. So he could be asking, you know, who are you? Who did you make? I mean, you know, that could be one thing. But I think it's interesting maybe uh, to to take a, a little different perspective of this in that he's challenging them, I think. He's challenging them and their connection to God. Like, in, in other words, um, 
Jesus had this statement. He's like, you, you know, a, a tree is known by its fruit, right? Um, out of the abundance of the heart, a man speaks. And so he's like, you've said all these things. If you're not helping, if you're not doing anything, then what can we determine about the source of your wisdom? Whose spirit, whose, whose uh, you know, attitudes and whose makeup or whose you know, life is coming from you? Because it doesn't seem to be God. Right? And I think that's, the, that's kind of his, the, the beginning of his challenge. Did you have? Well, they, again, they got this big fight against, in their time, whoever was sick, whoever was poor, whoever had trouble did something wrong. Right. And Job has been defeating this, this whole thing that that's mm-hmm. not from God, that's from right. man. Sure. So their whole premises is on what man had built up, that what God does, instead of Job saying, no, God is not that way. God does not do that. Man does that to himself kind of thing. And just because somebody's poor or somebody's sick, that's right. they did something against God. So he's like, you know, wake up, you know, smell the roses. Right. You guys are making something out of human... Right, and that's a great point. Uh, it's obviously not godly, and you look at where their uh, their sources are. I mean, it, it right. seems to be talking about God. They seem to talk a lot about what God does, but their sources are all what this smart person some, somewhere has said, and they're quoting all these, you know, whatever their philosophers were that they listened to in that part of the world. And Job says, you're not even listening... One one place he said, you're not even listening to philosophers from other places. You have such a limited scope. It's it's all human. Right. Uh, So so we get into the next. uh, This is one of these these passages that are, um, to me, stupendous. Uh, I love this passage. So again, from uh, verse 5 down through the end of the chapter, he says, The dead tremble, and under the waters those inhabiting them. Sheol is naked before him, and in destruction has no covering. He stretches out the north uh, over the empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up water in thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon over the face of the waters and at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with power and his understanding. He breaks up the storm and by his spirit he adorned the heavens and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And so uh, some of these statements will be different in different translations, but uh, he's... um, I think trying to identify, he's challenged their perception of God, and I think now he's going to go back and identify God. They've said, oh, there's no comparison between God and man. Okay, that's true. Uh, so let's talk about God first. God is what? What is, he, what is his large overall point of this? How is he identifying God as what? The creator. That's exactly right. And we go through these things and, and we look at, we're not going to, we, we see him over the cosmos. And there are amazing statements here. Um, he observes the starless north, which is true. Now, that's something that anybody can do with the naked eye. This is not, these aren't necessarily, um, there are some amazing things in here. 
Um, I think some of the amazing things in here are because when we look back in time, we, we kind of have adopted what the world's view is of these people, and we think of them as, you know, you know ancient man who must have been very dumb. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I've done is I like to watch nature and, and some of the, the ancient peoples and stuff like that. And one of the things that we're always amazed by is how did they do this? Well, it's amazing to us because we, we, we have adopted the world's view that they're barely above monkeys. So we go, how in the world did they build pyramids? Well, they were smart. That's how. <laughs> uh, the Mayans or, or the Incas or, or what, anywhere uh, you go up to England and Stonehenge, you, anywhere in the world there's these signs, China, you, there's these signs of incredibly smart people. God made man smart. Uh, but we go, oh my goodness, they were so... But, so when we read Job, we're not necessarily... We project, how did Job know this? Well, maybe Job was a smart guy. <laughs> maybe, maybe he lived among people who were smart. Uh, so, so I don't want to make too much out of this like some people do. But there are some things that it's just they amaze me. Um, there are a lot of observations here. But um, there is one or two here that I, I just... I, Historically, I didn't know that they had this. He says what? That counters our perception of people back then. A belief. The earth hangs on nothing. nothing. Okay. Now, I do know this. In India, they believed that the earth was carried on four elephants. That was on a turtle. I don't know what the turtle was on, but they're trying to come up with something. So that's India's ancient belief. The Greeks believed what? Atlas. Atlas, right? Uh, So so there was, how Job gets there, I don't know, but there might have been a group of people that, you know, that had a a differing view. I know that it wasn't, just so we can all be clear, it was not Columbus who discovered this, right? The spherical earth and all that stuff like this. This was not, this is not new, right? In terms of very, very new. There, there is an older, but at this point in time, I don't know of any. No documented uh, that I know of. But again, I don't know every, every culture. So. Well, I, I, Aristotle, I think, knew that there was a curve in the Okay. Earth, just from observing the, the he, he stood on the water and he saw the ships. Yeah. The mass of the ships were going down. And he said, look, there's a curve there. Right, said, right. Straight, you'd see them. Right, and it, away into infinity, but now you're saying you're watching the mass literally go down below the right. So and there's got to be a curve. And I think it was uh, Pythagoras who even theorized the approximate size of it, <laughs> like based on that observance. He's like, well, if we take a point here and we take a point here, we know the we can figure out a radius. Right, they're very mathematical. Right, it's like we can do this, <laughs> not difficult. Uh, so that that is another uh, another aspect. If we get down here. Um, again, so that's, we're talking a, a few hundred years before Christ with, with Aristotle and, and Plato and, and, and Pythagoras. I don't know of it earlier, but I'm not going to suggest that it can't possibly be true. Uh, while, while the Greeks are uh, amazing in, in everything else and have figured this out, the Mayans had a 365-day calendar. <laughs> 
It's like, uh, well, well, the rest of the world up for, for hundreds of years and thousands of years perhaps after had a 360-day calendar. The Mayans were ahead of it. So, so there are, who knows, in, in this part of the world, who knew what? Uh, just not a lot of documentation. But he says what? He drew, what does verse 10 describe? Okay, there's only one way you can get a curved horizon, right? Uh, there's only one way, that, that a shadow can be a, in a curve, and that's if you have a curved surface, right? If I have a flat disc and I bring a flashlight, if I've done this before, and you bring it up, you're, you're not going to have, you're going to kind of have this smooth kind of shadow. It's not going to be a curve. The only way is to you do it with an apple, <laughs> and bring a flashlight up in the dark, and you see a curve, right? That's the only way to do this. He, Job is described. Now, I'm not sure if Job knows this or God is inspiring this. It, Job seems to be saying this from his own understanding, which is impressive. Uh, so, uh, there are so many other things in here. Uh, yeah. so even the one just before that, in 8, where he talks about the water. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating that, you know, he, he binds up the water to stay clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. Anybody, anybody who's ever transported water knows it's one of the heaviest things sure. you can possibly pick up. You know, right. Roofs collapse under it. Yep. You know, they do it snow. Uh, you, you know, my tree stand just got, or line got totally demolished because I left it out there in the snow and it snapped because of a little bit of snow on top. And, it just, and yet he's saying that even though it's the, one of the heaviest things we know, God's making it float. Right. Right. It doesn't bind up the clouds and they don't, they don't right. collapse. They right. stay up there yeah. and they... Yeah. There's, and, and he goes, there are other places in Job and other places in the scriptures which, which talk about... Uh, uh, Solomon talks about this, you know, the, the whole water cycle and things like that. These are all related. So he's describing the majesty of God's creation and his power, his wisdom. And, and he's, he's saying, this is the God you're describing. Right? This kind of a God does things that are practical. He does things that are amazing to us. He's not, the things that come from God are, are not useless. So if you're quoting this God, the wisdom should match the creator. And that goes back to this statement in verse 4. Whose spirit is coming from you because these are the signs of God. And you don't seem to be matching up. Right? You're, he's a creative God. He's a, a I don't want to know how it's going to sound, but a useful God. Not, not like, well, he's kind of useful to me, but, but he's, he, he's not like some theoretical thing, which doesn't, you know, a lot of the people in this, they're, they're like Isaiah talked about. He talked about how you worship a God who can't even save himself from the fire. It's like you, you cut down a log, you make an idol of this one and worship it, and the rest of it you throw in the fire. It's like, what are you worshiping? This is not God. God does these things. That is a useful God. That's a practical God. And, and, and good things help and, and wisdom come from this kind of a God. And, and there's so much more we could get into in this passage. I like verse 14. He says, this is just the mere edge of his ways. How small a whisper we hear of him. We know so little about him. Right? We could go on and on and on. And the more we discover about God, really, the more we discover about our world, the more amazing it is. Like, we get out there more and more and more, and yet we get smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm like, oh my goodness, what, what, where is this? What's made this? God's got it. He's so detailed and so planned. This is the God that 
not just thinking out things that he's making, but he's thinking out ways to help people. He's thinking about his relationship with, with mankind. We get into chapter 27. <clears throat> Job has a principle he's going to discuss here. Let's look at verse 1 through 6. He says, Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty, who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. My tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say that you are right. Until I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I will hold fast and I will not let it go. My heart will not reproach me as long as I live. So we want to get into this, what this means and what it doesn't mean. <clears throat> There is something that he references that he referenced at the that is referenced at the beginning of the book. What is important? What principle is important to Job? I just find it interesting. It would be nice to have a chapter after Job gets everything back to sit down with these guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think they were. I think they tucked their tail and ran. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, when you you talk about you know what happened to these guys afterwards. Whenever someone is that wrong, they're ne- they're never there to uh, you know. It's like that one guy that I forget. I didn't, I didn't remember. There was some Super Bowl and some uh, some guy from New York. He's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hike back from. It was like out in California, and I'm gonna hike back to to New. Yeah, he didn't do it. No one asked them. It's like no one, no one held him accountable. Where is he? He just kind of snuck back. He's like, yeah, he was so sure that whatever team was gonna lose or whatever. And um, just you're never around. People are never around to. to they'll be there when they got the right prediction, right? But they'll never be there when when they got it wrong. Uh, so, so what's important to Job? <clears throat> Okay, he says his what? Integrity. His integrity. Um, and, and we're going to talk about what he speaks about specifically. His integrity. And then we talked about, remember his wife said, why do you cling to your integrity? His integrity was important to him. But I think based on this speech and based on, now what was his integrity defined at in the beginning? What did his wife want him to do? Curse God God and die. So it was speaking about God. And that's kind of what you're referencing, I think. Uh, That was really, really important to him. How does he define his integrity now? Because it's different. I'm not saying that he's speaking bad about God or isn't, it isn't. But but that's not what's important to him right now. To to speak wickedness or utter deceit. Okay. Concerning what? Concerning what? Well, the way he's applying it here is that admitting that they were right... Okay, giving them credence for what they're what they're right. saying right. Is, is, is a violation of integrity because he knows in his heart they're wrong. Okay, so so and, and bound up in that idea, he switched from where his integrity was whether or not he was going to curse God. It was it was defined. His integrity was defined by his relationship with God. Now his integrity has come to the point of admitting I'm wrong. It, 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 he's he's kind of shifted over a period of time. So so it sounds good to say, well, he's still holding fast his integrity. Yeah, but 
He's defined it different. Now, I understand this. I understand him quite well. I, I have a similar thing. I have a rule. I don't apologize when I'm not wrong. <laughs> don't do it. And I know, I know that that aggravates people. But you know if I apologize, I believe I'm wrong. You see, I, I, those, are not, those are not cheap apologies. As someone who just apologizes just to smooth things over, if, if he apologizes just to get these three guys to shut up, it, it cheapens something genuine. Uh, and he just becomes known as a people pleaser, a yes man. Right? And those people, like, you don't know what they say what behind your back because they'll say this to you to make everything smooth. And that's, I have, a, I have this principle too. <laughs> I understand, as, as a human being, I understand Job. Uh, <clears throat> but I think it's important to, to recognize that his, his attitude towards God is shifting as he's starting to think a little bit more about me. You know, he's, he's thinking more about Job than he was at the beginning. Um, if he didn't, then God wouldn't have to come at, to him at the end and have a big speech. <laughs> God has to set him straight. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was right there with you. Good job. Uh, so in verse 8, um, beginning in verse 8, or, or excuse me, verse 7, he says, <clears throat> May my enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much if God takes away his life. Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? So he's not abandoned God. We want to be clear. We won't take this too far. He's not abandoning God. Just, there's been a transition, I think, what we, we saw in the previous section. But um, verse 7, describe verse 7. May my enemy be like the wicked. What is, he, what is this statement? And we don't state things like this today. We don't. This is an official pronouncement. It'd be like an oath. It'd be like almost like a curse. Right? Um, this is serious business when you when you say this back then. This isn't just like a a pithy you know thing. He's giving a, you know in his mind he's giving a curse. To these, to these men. Um, false accusers, uh, in his mind, are, they're unrighteous. They will eventually not be heard by God. Right? That's kind of what he's encapsulating. Let them who rise up against me be like the unrighteous. What's going what's gonna to happen to a hypocrite? You'll be humiliated. Okay, Eventually. And Job's going to get into that um, in a, here in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so he gives, starting in verse 11, he's going to give context to justice. <clears throat> and we're going to read through the end of the, the chapter here. He says, I will teach you about the hand of God. <laughs> That's kind of a bold statement. You don't know about God. You haven't seen him. I'm going to teach you. It's kind of almost a contradiction. 
because he just said, where, where have you, how, how, you know, uh, we've gone through that, uh, he, he's violating really his own observation. How can you know God? How can you, but let me teach you about God. Um, so he says, surely all of you have seen it. Why then don't you behave, uh, why then do you behave with complete nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him will be buried in death. Their widows will not weep, though he heaps up silver like dust. He piles up clothing like clay. He may pile it up, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a watchman makes, The rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens up his eyes, and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood, and a tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away, and he's gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men will clap their hands at him. It's kind of like, uh, and hiss out of his place. It's kind of like, some places in the Bible, uh, I don't know if he's talking about applause, like, yay, they're finally down, or if it's like there was like there's a, a thing called clapping your hand over your mouth, like, ah, like they're, they're shocked of it. So um, I'm not sure exactly what's meant there, uh, but it's, uh, there are a lot of idioms that we, we don't understand. But what is, as he, he's giving context to it, justice, and it maybe sound like he's echoing what they've said, that, that bad things happen to, to bad people. But... Um, what is his, how does he define it somewhat differently from them? His description is different. How did they view the downfall of the hypocrite and wicked men? And how does he view it? Okay, so he's, he's, he, he seems to be echoing their, their point, right? Like, okay, yeah, this, let me show you God. I mean, sometimes you come to a point in a conversation where you find out that you're really saying the same thing, you're just saying it differently, and I don't think he is. I mean, he says, oh, this is, this is all the problems that happen to wicked men. I was like, what are we arguing for? At one point you could say, what are we arguing for if, uh, if we're saying the same thing? But he's not really saying the same thing. He's, he's defining things that happen to bad people. But what was their point? And what is Job's point? There's a, there's a significant difference. The timing in which the bad happened. Okay, that's exactly right. They're, they want, they're, they've been shaping their argument. Remember, Job says, I, I know what you're up to. I, I see, I, this is what happened to me. So now you're saying, oh, God stepped in right away. and You must have done this stuff. And now God's taking care of you. And, and Job says, yeah, but it doesn't happen like, you, like you're viewing it. It doesn't happen immediately. That's not, what, that's not the way God does. And in fact, he's, he's, there's a statement in here which suggests that he knows that they've said things that contradict this in their past. <clears throat> if you look at this section, he says, surely all of you have seen it. So why are then you behaving like, why are you pretending to be ignorant? You know this. You know, these are things we've talked about. 
Remember you talked about this guy. Why was this bad thing? Why was the bad things happen to him? Right? If we looked at their lives, we would understand that they, they don't even believe their own junk. Right? They don't even believe themselves. But they're trying to attack Job, and they'll use any argument to get there. And so we look through these things, <clears throat> and he goes through the different types of arguments they've made, just kind of briefly. Um, they've said, what about life? A person who's bad, what, what is, how, how do they live? They suffer and die. Boom, done and gone. He says no. Uh, what does he describe? He says, um, trying to find it here. I did these notes from a different version. But he describes kind of throughout here people have, that live long and they see their offspring. They, they see their, their descendants. No, that's not that's not God saying, oh, you're dead. Right? You live to see your offspring and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. But right, he has survivors. He has he has he has people that are that but what happens to them? If his children are multiplied, there it is, verse 14, it's for what? It's for the sword. It's for the sword. So yes. These things happen, but, but bad will eventually happen. Right? I think of Aldous Huxley. Right? Uh, he's the great-grandson of, of Thomas Huxley, a well-known atheist. Well, it, it catches up through drugs and all sorts of stuff. It, the lifestyle that the, the atheistic non-God lifestyle took like four generations of successful business people before that someone really lived it and died a young death, a hopeless death. Right? It, these things sometimes take time to catch up. And this is what, what, uh, what Job is describing. Oh, he might have prospered, right? What does he talk about? He builds houses and things like that. He's prosperous. But what? You know where God, uh, in, the, in the law of Moses, he, he says that... Um, <clears throat> That I, 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 will, I will repay and punish, um, you know, like four, like I think it was like three or four generations. Yeah, yeah. To the third and fourth generation. Right. Yeah. But then there's another scripture that where people negate that and they say, well, God doesn't, you know, people stand on their own, not for right. what they're, you know. When I, I think it's in Ezekiel. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think what God was saying <coughs> is the repercussions of your right. actions. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. God doesn't say you did bad, so so your kid is gonna suffer. I think a lot of times it's. I mean, there are times where he's done that with David. Uh, but for the most part, he says, those are re- there are consequences of things. I think uh, a lot of the things that happened to David in his household, not necessarily just that one son who died, but, but the things were done because kids saw dad. Right? Just like Isaac saw what Abraham did and did kind of some of the same things. And just you see some bad behavior, you copy dad. Uh, so there are a lot, of, a lot of consequences that I think that are natural, right? So, so the, 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 the rich, they, they, they prosper, but others will enjoy it. See, that, that's different. It's slightly different. It's not, oh, you prospered and you lost it, right, right, right there on the spot. No, no, you're going to live in it, die in it, and somebody else is going to own it, right? 
you enjoyed life, but we talked about how they live in peace and, and stuff like that. We, we saw that just a few chapters ago. Job says, no. We know people, they seem to be enjoying, they dance, they, they, they enjoy music, they, they have a peaceful lifestyle. Here he almost contradicts himself. He says, uh, in verse 20, what happens to, the, to, the, to these evil men? What happens? The flood of what? He says, terrors overtake him like a flood. Now, at some point, there does come a point, even while you've, after you've enjoyed everything, that you start thinking about eternity. Then you start to get a little scared. So it catches up to you, but not in the moment. And God's going through here and saying, this is what God's justice is like. He was notable in life. He had a great reputation, but what? What does verse 19 say? He lies down. Just talking about his death. But what? Okay. He says, the, the rich man will lie down, but he's not gathered up. He opens his eyes and he isn't. That's kind of like you wake up dead. I think that's their idiom for that. <laughs> like, like it's just like that. It, it, it's over before you knew it. Um, but this, this idea of not being gathered up, what is he talking about? What do you think? Okay, so it's possibly talking about the afterlife. Um, you're not going to be brought to God. That's one possible thing. And Job has certainly talked about the afterlife quite a bit. Um, and that's one aspect of this. I think even just before that, there's kind of a, there's another thing that was important to people. What was important to people back then about their death? What did Joseph, what was important to Joseph? His bones. He wanted to be, he wanted to be buried with his people. Right. And, and I think that's kind of what Job is... I'm not saying that Job is not talking about the afterlife, uh, because, as I say, he, he was very aware of things. He was aware of things that he shouldn't... I mean, that I don't know how he knew them. <laughs> because God hadn't revealed that to, to people that I know of. So how he had arrived at some of these ideas were amazing. Um, but I think he's talking about reputation here as well. And he's like, you're going to die and, and your own relatives aren't. And he kind of seems to, to talk uh, about that. You know, the, just the, the lack of reputation that you have. Wicked people don't have a great reputation. And they're not really going to come to your funeral. <laughs> they don't really care about you. They're kind of glad you're gone. Right? Um, and even verse 15 talks about that. Those who survive him will be buried in death and their widows won't weep. Your own wife's not going to be sorry you're dead. Which is kind of ironic for him to say that because his wife doesn't really care about him. Um, so I want to uh, get into chapter 28. That, that, so he's described now what real justice, what, what God's justice is really like. This is how God works. This is why we're not happy. God doesn't operate on my time frame. 
I would like him to go, boom, you're dead. Boom, you got justice. You're in jail. <coughs> Make everything go so smoothly. But it doesn't work like that. 28, 1 through 11. <clears throat> he says, surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is melted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people and in places forgotten by feet they hang far away from men, swing back and forth. And as for the earth, it comes from it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires and it contains gold dust. The path that no bird knows. The falcon's eyes never seen it. The proud lions haven't walked it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. He's talking about man here. He cuts channels in the rocks in his eyes. Every precious thing. He dams up streams from trickling. Whatever is hidden, he brings forth to light. So I want to stop there. What is he's describing two things about man that I see? You can define it different if you wish. What is he describing about man? Okay, so so there's he's this overall we could really say he's talking about one thing. So he's talking about man's ingenuity, right? The animals don't they don't a they don't care. But, you know, it kind of maybe we can say he's describing a lot of things. Man's priorities, which kind of we saw that uh, you know uh, which one was it? Eliphaz who was kept on defining success and good things as gold. Oh, it's like gold and gold and silver and gold. And it's like man likes these things. We'll, we'll search for it. He's, you, we, we mine for it. He's describing mining <laughs> here um, for, for, for precious things. So, so this, this search for what is valuable. And what else? He talks about something else about man's ingenuity. What else does man do? Well, his industriousness and creativity both hands on the flint. Okay. He overturns the mountains of the room. Flint in those days was used to, like, uh, to, to break rock, to, to chisel. Right. right? And so he's creating stuff. You know, he overturns the mountains at the roots, you know, and he said he cuts out channels. Yeah. And, you know, so he's making roads and, and, and places to pass, usually, you know, to pass usually <laughs> the mountain, and you said, well, I can't go there. Yeah. Well, man will carve out. Right. And all of this has been in the search for gold. And so, so he's now starts to, not just man's search, but then he talks about um, copper being smelted, refined. So man's manipulation of it, man's usage of it, like all these things that, here's a rock. No one else has used a rock, but man makes a tool out of it, like you're talking about. So, so, so his... his you know, industriousness, like you say, and, and his desire for it. Th these things have, these are bound up in humanity, and no one else really cares about it. I mean, I guess raccoons like shiny things, but other than that, you know, I mean, they're good with hubcaps. But, um, but man, man is a little bit separate in this. And he says, we, we search for it, and all these things. But and I want to just read verse 12, because these are general. We're not really going to get a ton of points from this. He says, where can wisdom be found, and what is the place of understanding? Man doesn't know its value. Nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, not here. The sea says, not here. It can't be purchased for gold. 
Silver can't be weighed for its price. It can't be valued in the gold of Ophir, the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or crystal cannot equal it. It can't be exchanged. No mention will be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia can't equal it. It can't be valued in gold, for where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It's hidden from all the eyes of the living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we've heard a report about it somewhere with our ears. Um, God understands its way. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven to establish the weight for the wind. One of those interesting statements. And he apportions waters by measure when he's made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt. And he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it and indeed he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So, so we're not going to get into all these other scientific statements. But he, basically he just says, What about man's priorities? Why can't man find wisdom? Is it because it doesn't exist? Why can't man find it? It can't be purchased. Right. Man values things by what he can get with his natural resources. And you can't get it. He thinks of of giving up stuff to get stuff. And and his, Joe's point is, you're going to have to give up something different to get this. You're going to have to give up a little self. And we're not typically willing to do that. Um, So we're going to conclude there.